0: at Calvary, there my Saviour died, He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for
1: living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that
0: never
2: ends. At this man, Stephen, said, Behold, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. This made them madder yet. They picked up stones and they killed him. He kneeled down and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he said with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went
3: everywhere preaching the gospel. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever.
1: In this lesson, Luke brings Stephen's martyrdom to the forefront. And while Stephen was being stoned, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he saw the heavens opened and the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. What an encouragement to this man while he is at the very verge of death. You will notice that all three persons of the Trinity are written about here. And yet while being stoned, he prays for their forgiveness. Now could you or I do that? Now all of this was not without observation to a certain young man by the name of Saul. And on that very day, the persecution against the church began in Jerusalem, and the church was scattered throughout the entire region of Judea and Samaria. But in spite of this, the people were continuing to preach the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, let's turn in our Bible with Dr. Mitchell to Acts chapter 7, verse 54, on The Unchanging Word, Bible broadcast.
2: Good day, friends. It again is our great joy and delight to come to you, and we're studying together the book of Acts. And we have just finished, kind of hurriedly, I must say, the seventh chapter, where we had the the first martyr of the Christian church, and we had his message before he was stoned to death. You remember that they took Stephen, and they, they had false witnesses against him concerning the fact that he, they claimed that he was opposed to Moses and the law of Moses, how his face shone, and how he gave his defense, reiterating their whole mystery, their whole history. And then when you get down toward the end of, the, of his message, his merciless logic, and his conclusion just simply drives these people to frenzy. In fact, the history was one of rebellion against God. They rebelled against Moses, against all the prophets, and then they took the Son of God and they rebelled against him and crucified him and buried him, and God raised him from the dead. And now they are rejecting the one of whom Moses and the Law did right I repeat again, it is God's final appeal to Israel. And they were accused of being just like their fathers. Their fathers were stiff-necked and rebellious and turned against the living God. And he accuses them of the same thing, they're just like their fathers, stiff-necked people. And so you remember they gnashed on him with their teeth and, they, and he being filled with the Spirit of God saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Marvelous, marvelous thing. He must have seen the Lord Jesus on earth. Now he saw him in his glory. You us time to think of it? But our Lord is going to come in the clouds of heaven. He's going to be on the right hand of God in glory. Our Lord himself declared this. Uh, Someone has well said that this man, Stephen, was prematurely sanctified but not prematurely admitted to heaven. The heavens are always open to receive those who put their trust in the Savior. Marvelous thing about this man, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Again, I raise the issue when you come to the rest of your Bible. From here on you never read of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You find him sitting on the throne of God. You find that of course in Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 10, and chapter and chapter 12. I repeat it again: heaven is always open to receive those who put their trust in Him. You remember Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 23, when he said, I'm in a strait betwixt to having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, the crowd is gone. And you come to the eighth chapter, the second verse, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So the crowd has disappeared. The disciples pick up his body and bury them. What about Stephen? <laughs> He's gone into the open heavens, into the presence of the Saviour. I tell you, my friend, this is a wonderful thing, isn't it? That heaven is always open and the Lord Jesus is always ready to receive every one of those who have put their trust in him. It may be today I am talking to some and possibly you're frail and you've, as far as you're concerned, your life on earth from a practical viewpoint possibly is it. You're just waiting for the call home. Isn't it wonderful to have a home to which you can go isn't it wonderful that heaven is always open to receive every sinner who puts their trust in the Savior? And I can't help but rejoice in the fact that the Savior is always ready and is always waiting to receive everyone whom he hath redeemed with his precious blood. Isn't it I say, isn't it a wonderful hope to have? My friend, do you have hope like that? You know, every once in a while I meet somebody and says, Well, Mitchell, you know I don't believe in resurrection. When I'm dead, I'm dead. My, is that your hope? Is that your hope? Is all your hope based on things down here? Based on your present health and circumstances and everything else? (laughs) No hope. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to have a hope that when we leave this scene, and if the Lord tarries, every one of us will leave this scene. Where are you going to go? For the believer, heaven is waiting to receive them. What about the unsaved person out of the presence of God? There's no place in heaven for sinners unredeemed. And so I say again with wonderful, wonderful joy that the Lord is still waiting to save you, my friend. He's just waiting to save you from your sin, forgive you every transgression and fit you to go into the presence of God, the God of glory, the King of glory, the God of glory, the Father of glory, to go right into his presence and enjoy him. No wonder Paul could say, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. Leave this place of sin and frailty and weakness and go right into the very presence of the Savior. No more tears, no more suffering, no more misunderstanding, no more frailty, just to go right into the very presence of God. And as the psalmist could say in the 16th Psalm, the last verse, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Have you got a faith like that? I tell you, when I think of this man Stephen being stoned, a man full of wisdom, man full of the Holy Spirit, man full of power. You see, someone says, well, why doesn't God leave him down here to do the job? Wait a bit. Are you telling God what he's going to do with his people? He's got a purpose. Some he takes home early. There's some others. He lets them stay a long time on the earth. And as the psalmist says, our times are in his hands. Job could say that he he numbers our steps. David could say he bottles our tears. Jesus said he could count the, he counts the hairs of our head. <laughs> With the object, I speak to those of you who love the Savior, you have become the personal object of the wonderful, wonderful love and devotion of the living, eternal, sovereign God. Oh, how he cares for us. And sometimes I wonder if God just gets so full of anticipation of seeing you and me, he just says, come on home. Just like you have it, you remember, in Genesis chapter 5, where I read that Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. He walked with God three hundred years, and it was so wonderful to God that he said to Enoch, come on, let's keep on going. And Enoch was translated that he should not see death, for before his translation he had this testimony, he pleased God. Sometimes I wonder if we Christians realize what our fellowship with him means to God. You know, sometimes we talk so much about our fellowship with God. Do you ever stop to think of the yearning of his heart for your fellowship? Here's a man, Stephen, a Hellenistic Jew, was chosen to be one of the seven to wait on tables. Everybody knew he was spirit-filled. Everyone knew he was a wise man. Everyone knew that he had a good testimony without. He was chosen to be one of the seven. First thing you know, he's what? He's teaching, he's communicating the precious gospel of the grace of God, and it's so clear, it's so precious, that the enemies of the gospel turn on him. And first thing you know, they stone him to death. What hope do they have? All right, they've stoned God's man, and heaven takes in his man. And what I'm trying to get to your heart, my friend, is the wonderful, wonderful hope. And the anticipation of God's people They come right into the very presence of God Himself. I repeat the question, do you have this hope? You see, well, Mr. Mitchell, I'm so frail. I, as far as I know, I've trusted the Savior, but you know, I don't have much joy in my life. I don't know much about fellowship. Well, why don't you start today? You see, what shall I do? Read the Word of God when you have the opportunity, but talk to the Savior just like you would talk to somebody else. Just sit down and talk to the Lord. I remember in the book of Exodus where God came down and talked to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. I'm quoting from Exodus chapter 33, about verse 11. See, this is the yearning of the heart of God. So I'm not surprised when I come to the end of chapter 7 that this man, Stephen, said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. This made them madder yet. They picked up stones and they killed him. And what did he say? He kneeled down and said, Lord Jesus, this is calmness. Here was the crowd raging. Raging, lawless crowd to kill God's man. And he's the calmest one of the group. He just kneeled down and said, Lord Jesus, all this personal Wonderful personal relationship. Lord Jesus received my spirit. And then he said with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Ah, he had been with Jesus. And instead of cursing these who were stoning him to death, instead of retaliating, what did he do? He asked the Lord to forgive them. I say, here you have the spirit of the Savior. You know, I've even heard Christians, and I'm sorry to say this, I've heard Christians say, I'll I'll forgive you this time, but brother, don't you ever let it happen again. You don't get down and ask the Lord to forgive them with tenderness, with compassion, with understanding, with a yearning for their salvation. May God grant to you and to me that spirit of forgiveness, divine forgiveness. And I can't help but stop here, as I've been doing these past few minutes, and talk about this man, Stephen, God's first martyr. Stoned to death just because he loved the Savior. But he had an abundant entrance into the very presence of God. Now, let's come to chapter 8. And you'll notice from chapter 8, verse 5, running right down through chapter 12, you have witnessing, witnessing of the gospel in Judea and in Samaria. Now, mark the movement. The movement is away from Jerusalem. Very little is said any more about Jerusalem. In chapter two and three and four and five, you have this. In chapter seven and the stoning of God's servant. Starting in chapter eight, you have where they buried Stephen, and the disciples were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And starting from here on to the end of chapter 12, you have witnessing uh, in Judea and Samaria. Now, before I take that up, there's just one further word I want you to notice. In chapter 8, the first four verses. And Saul, I take it because of the prominence that you have with this man, Saul of Tarsus, from chapter 13 to the end of the book. Saul, who was a young man, as you have it in verse 58 of the preceding chapter, Saul was consenting unto his death. If I may give Paul's own testimony afterwards when he said that he cast his ballot for the stoning of Stephen. I take it from that that Saul could have been a member of the Sanhedrin, of the Council of Jerusalem. A young man, a brilliant young man, a student on a Gamaliel, the outstanding rabbi, and he cast his ballot for the stoning of Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching or gossiping the gospel. Now let me just say a word concerning this matter of of the end, where you have them scattered abroad. You'll notice you'll notice in verse one and in verse four, let me just take this up for a moment. God had said to them, or the Lord Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before he went to heaven, he said I want you to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But instead of that, they were all hanging around Jerusalem. How is God going to get them out of Jerusalem? So he permitted persecution to scatter the seed. So I read they went everywhere, all throughout Judea and Samaria, except the apostles the apostles stayed at jerusalem i suppose because they thought it was the headquarters and the saints of god were scattered and in verse 4 they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel now the word there is is that they gossiped the gospel they weren't all preachers but they were scattered abroad giving out the word of god because of persecution and i believe that they did it under the power of god you see saul was throwing them in prison saul was the spearhead throwing everybody in jail it made no difference whether were men or women or young people he just if i can use the term he ravished the church what did they do they went everywhere preaching the word evangelization God sent persecution to get them to go to the millions who had yet never heard the gospel. And they went everywhere. May I just suggest something here? If the gospel were left to preachers, our generation would never hear the word of God. If the saints of God had stayed in Jerusalem, they would never have heard the message, even in Samaria. They would have stayed in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. And the rest of the world go by, and the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. These men who were the, in the forefront as messengers of God, Peter, like Peter and John, 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved, a great many of priests believed, why didn't they get out with the Word of God? So God, I say, in sovereignty scattered them for the purpose of getting out with the Word of God. It may be the Lord will allow that even today. He may allow persecution to scatter the seed. In fact, they went as far as Antioch. As we shall see further when we get into the book a little later on, that no longer is Jerusalem the center of missionary activity. In fact, Jerusalem never became a center of missionary activity. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Believers were scattered, somewhat even as far as Antioch, and that became afterwards the very center of missionary activity. But what I want to say again, I want to emphasize the fact that if the preaching of the gospel is left just to preachers, our generation will never be reached. I'd like to emphasize that. You know, most churches, even evangelical churches, they say, well, it's the preacher's job. What do you think we hire him for? Boy, I'm sure, God, I'm not a hireling. I've got a job to do. If the saints of God want to help uh, pay for the preaching, that's up to them. But every man has got a calling. Every pastor and a and teacher has a calling from God. And the trouble is, we don't train God's people to do the job that must be done. Oh, I just wish that you'd pray that the Lord would raise up men in these last days. Used of God in the reaching of our generation. Don't depend upon evangelists or pastors or teachers. My Christian friend, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been called to be a worker together with God. as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We're God's fellow workers. You say, well, that's for preachers. No, that's for every one of us. All you have it in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're to represent the Savior. And these early Christians went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They spoke the word of God. They sang his praises. They lived Christ. He was the center of their lives. And the result was a great many people believed in the Savior. And I can leave that with you this, today. But what I'm trying to get to your heart is Just like Stephen, he was used of God because he was usable. He was filled with the Spirit of God. He walked in fellowship with God. And when you and I walk in fellowship with God, God finds us usable to communicate the Word of God to the unsaved. Now, it's true they won't all accept it. It's true you're going to have some opposition. It's true that you'll be called all kinds of names. And some parts of the world are thrown into jail. But you know, that doesn't stop the work of God. The Lord is sovereign. The amazing thing is that should, he should ever allow you and me to minister the word of God. So I just plead with your heart today. Christian friend, if you love the Savior, he can use you. Just the way you are. Don't, don't hide behind the fact you say, well, I don't have any gifts. How do you know? How do you know you haven't any gifts? You've never tried it. Now, you live Christ. You manifest something of the grace and love and compassion of the Savior. And I'll tell you that God can use you to the praise of the glory of his grace and to the salvation of precious souls. Now may the Lord bless you today, and you walk with the Savior today, and may he find you usable, as he found the old, the, this great crowd back yonder 1,900 years ago. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. Now you do that, and the Lord bless you today. For his name's
0: sake.